everybody that has that doesn't have the exact same symptom, isn't it? They don't come in and they say, you know, my eyes are dry. Yes. They talk about what? What are some of the various symptoms that people may have that they may go, oh, well, I guess kind of I have dry eyes maybe too. What yeah, absolutely. So I think intolerance to contact lens wear, a lot of times people think that that's just the brand of contact they're in, but it may be underlying the dryness of their eyes. If your eyes are tired or gritty at the end of the day, you will definitely want to hear the rest of episode 38. You may have dry eyes. From the in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee, it's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now... Your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris. Welcome to As I See It. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris, coming to you live from Cool Springs Eye Care, Donaldson Eye Care, and today, actually, Performance Vision Therapy here in Franklin, Tennessee. And I say Performance Vision Therapy because we're really honored to have special guest today, Dr. Daniel Kelly, who's an optometrist and a specialist in neuro and behavioral optometry, uh, works in our main practices as well as our specialty practice at PVT, a few doors down. So welcome, Dr. Kelly. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. We're glad to we're glad to have you here. We've been trying to line this up for a while because there are a number of areas of expertise that you have that we've wanted to kind of tap your brain a little bit to help you tap into our brains, if you will. You like how I made that little segue? Yeah, really yeah, do. I, just, I was on the spot. I just thought I'd let you know that. So today we're going to focus the first episode on traumatic brain injury. We hear about TBI. We also hear about concussions and 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 yet concussions are really a part of tbi right so can you help us with what is a traumatic brain injury yeah well um the definition of a traumatic brain injury is we'll cut that but um okay so let's do that again so um (laughs) (laughs) see this is nice i gotta think about it it's like a conversation cut at 119 (laughs) right (laughs) in the beginning just talk sorry cole all right (laughs) um so today we want to talk break Today, we want to talk about traumatic brain injury. We hear about concussions. We hear about other trauma. And and maybe we just need to start with a basic of what is a traumatic brain injury? Is there a definition? It's it's a mix. I mean, it, it can be a direct blow to the head. It could be whiplash. Let's talk about it like a an athlete. Um, most athletes may say, oh, well, I didn't get hit in the head, so this can't be a concussion. But you watch those MMA fighters, you watch um, somebody that's playing football and they get hit right in the middle of the chest and they have a um, you know vector force of head moving forward and back. We've got whiplash or um, head turning to the side. That can cause um, a mild traumatic brain injury, moderate or severe. So that's how we typically classify these. Um, but a concussion um, compared to a, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things of what a traumatic brain injury is, uh, it's just part of the umbrella. Um, you could have uh, a neurodegenerative disease like MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's that falls under these acquired brain injuries. Um, and then we have a branch of ABIs, which is acquired brain injury. We have a traumatic brain injury. So again, going back to what you asked is you can have a direct head injury that can cause a concussion. You can have a disease going on. You can even lose, um, you know, blood flow to the brain uh, in a 
oxygen deprivation event that can cause these types of um, traumatic brain injuries. So really, I, I probably would be more correct if I said TBI is kind of a part of ABI. Is that um, right? Oh, traumatic yeah. is a part of acquired. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So where I was thinking anything traumatic, whether that's physical or degenerative, um, the, the more accurate term is an acquired brain injury, which probably makes it a little more approachable for our patients because we all might have a family member that may have had a stroke mm-hmm. uh, and has you know some deficits, need some rehabilitation. Uh, we may have somebody, like you've mentioned, that has uh, multiple sclerosis, a demyelinating disease or disorder, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, anything that is affecting the neurons in the brain. But we also know people have been in motor vehicle accidents, and we certainly know athletes that have had you know, head-to-head concussion, and we're, um, we're familiar with a lot of sports discussion on chromatic, tra- chromatic yeah, uh, maybe I've had one, uh, traumatic um, wait, let's try this again on chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is really a repeated uh, concussion type uh, and brain injury, correct? All fall into this, yeah. some sort of injury to my brain, correct? Yeah. And to keep it a little bit fun and, and light and think about you know recent events, think about Texas, right? They just went through a big ice storm and people are trying to stay warm because the power grid just went out, right? Mm-hmm, and everybody's right. freaking out and they're trying to yeah. um, you know, maybe go in the garage and turn in the car on. And next thing you know, they have monoxide poisoning, carbon monoxide poisoning. And let's say it didn't take them away from us, um, but they could still get a mild, moderate, or severe brain injury if they survived the event. Gotcha, gotcha. So a brain injury requires treatment much like if I broke an arm, correct? There are ways to diagnose this. Um, We have to know the cause. and, And basically, once we know that, we identify it, we treat it. But then these require more rehabilitation afterwards, much like after I broke an arm and I get a cast, that's the immediate treatment and rest of some sort. Then I take that off, but my arm's not back to normal. I've got to get it back in shape, or if I had a traumatic ACL injury to my knee. And so acquired brain injuries also uh, require therapy, don't they, with multiple specialties. That's correct. Talk about that. Yeah, we've got an entire team involved in the patient's care, athlete's care. It's going to be, um, you know, from your family doctor to a sports physician. It could be your pediatrician that diagnoses your child with a concussion. And to talk about how we diagnose that, you know, we really have evolved over the last 30 years with concussion management. And it just keeps on evolving and getting better. But it's not like orthopedic uh, care where you can go get a CT scan, MRI, and um, get pretty, you know, accurate results on, oh, you've got a, you know, a broken, you know, wrist, you've got, you know, an ACL tear and head injuries. You know, when we do these MRIs and CAT scans, um, most of the time you're looking at 98% of patients that show no sign of structural damage. So clinically you require on the expertise of the clinician and the patient's symptoms to diagnose them with the concussion. And that's why a lot of times that, that your physician will say, well, did, do you remember, did you pass out? And if so, how long was the person out, right? Yeah. Sometimes they're measuring the degree, if you will, in a concussion case of... of um, like less than five minutes, greater than five minutes, yeah. or brain fog. So mild, moderate, severe mm-hmm. concussions. And, um, you know, then you're dealing with someone that's had a brain injury. So their recollection of that isn't great so that's not very accurate so really the best way to do this and going back to the athlete because it gets a little bit easier because we're used Mm -hmm. to that they get all the um, spotlight but 
they have sideline concussion testing that's great but then what happens after you get it past seven days what are you using and that's where again it goes back to the clinician what baseline testing these patients have had and how can we compare okay so um, you mentioned results. seven days is there a a magic number do you are there any interventions within the first seven days or is that intervention more rest yeah so we um with the evolving treatment and monitoring of these these patients um we're looking at you know in the first three days you want to really focus on rest and good sleep that's number one and limiting you know um symptom related um activity so if if you want to do things you don't want to put someone in a dark room and Mm-hmm. and say stay there good luck see you in three days i mean you're going to end up having somebody that is dealing with depression anxiety an athlete that is thinking man i'm falling further behind i'm not playing i'm losing a position mm-hmm. you've got a student that's saying well i'm falling behind in school so we really want them to try to do activities based off of you know their symptoms so you become symptomatic you stop what you're doing and after three days then we start to add in more therapy and that can be um with the PT, OT, which physical therapists, occupational mm-hmm. therapists, or with us, the uh, neurooptometrists and mm-hmm. our vision therapists. And even some vestibular for some people too, correct? Exactly. That's with the where PT. that multi-vis- mm-hmm. vis- or multi-vestibular, multidisciplinary really comes into play. Which, so. is, which is so key because, you know, about, I, I think it's 80% of our processing in our brain is through the visual system, right? And 90% of patients that have had concussions, um, are, are, they have one or more ocular symptoms after these head injuries. And the sooner we can take care of it in the optometry world, the faster these people heal. And, sa- and same goes with vestibular. If you're having balance issues, we need to get you with uh, a doc, an optometrist that's comfortable with treating that or get you with a vestibular therapist. So let's talk about some of the testing that we might do. We have some diagnostic testing that, you know, as you mentioned, you can't you can't necessarily do a CT scan and say, hey, you had a concussion unless you broke a blood vessel or have some traumatic injury that that shows up. Yeah. Because what we're really talking about more are stretching neurons, aren't we, which don't show up on a CT or an MRI? Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're talking about these neurons, which go through these Let's talk about it as vector forces, you know, a head injury that's a linear force. Your head goes forward and backwards versus a boxer that gets knocked in the jaw and twists their their head. Those are more um, symptomatic. These are people that have these twisting torsional forces that cause more damage to these neurons. And it's not really the structure of the neurons, but what's happening afterwards. And it's this metabolic process where, you know, your body is going into fight or flight and you're trying to it's inflammation Mm -hmm. it gets all the way down to there's inflammation released into the brain and our inflammatory body um, um, our inflammatory factors really want to come in and try to save the day but if they stay there for too long they're going to cause cause trouble kind of like our military we send them in for a reason that they stay in the city they've been trained to kill yeah Gotcha. So they can cause damage there. Gotcha. So why don't we just, if it's just inflammation, why don't we just put everybody on heavy-duty steroids and just calm down inflammation and say, there you go, you're back to normal. What is it that inhibits us from, even with an anti-inflammatory approach, being right back to normal all the time? It's a good question. Um, well, steroids, definitely not the treatment, of, um, because we want we want our, our body to send in 
you know, growth factors and we want to heal. But if they stay for too long, I'm talking about greater than 14 days, then they start affecting these unique cells uh, in our immune system uh, that we call microglia. And microglia um, are glial cells. Uh, these are guys that deal with immune, first immune, uh, immune response. They deal with communication mm-hmm. between cells. Um, if you remember the oligodendrocytes, are myelinating. I'm sure everybody remembers the oligodendrocytes. Remember uh-huh. Yeah, our little sheets on um, on the on our nerves, right? Yeah, these sure, these sure. guys, it's like dealing with electrical wiring. They provide insulation, and mm-hmm, what happens mm-hmm. if our insulation and our neurons are lost? Well, we have communication problems. So initially, it's good to have inflammation. Long term, it causes that electrical wiring to lose its communication process and then uh, that's where these um, long-term symptomatic patients occur so daniel you mentioned brain fog a really good word because i think people can relate to that how long after a acquired brain injury let's say if it's trauma or concussion one like that uh, how long is a normal amount of brain fog and how long is that boy i need to really go see somebody because uh, this is lasting too long or is that a difficult thing because a, it depends on the person? It, well, it depends on the person and their, you know, what type of activities are, or what, what's their job? What, what mm-hmm. do they want to do? Is it affecting performance? And so, you know, let's just say 14 days post. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a problem. Let's get that figured out. But for someone that is, you know, running a business, they're, you know, in school, they're in a sport that is for performance, you want to just get you want to get that taken care of as soon as possible because that's going to allow you to heal. So rest at first, but then um, I guess I'm looking for is there some length of time where a parent or a spouse can say, "Huh, still having that issue? Well, let's kind of see how things go." But if it doesn't improve by X, that we need to get this checked out. And I think what you're saying is, well, it depends on what you're doing or trying to do, right? If you're trying to do run your business and it's 14 days afterwards and you're still having all kinds of brain fog and it's difficult and that's going to be costly from an economic standpoint or who knows what, whatever to your livelihood, then you got to get it checked out, right? Yeah, um, and sooner the better, right? Yeah, and, okay. and and if it, ha- if it was from, you know, Force trauma. Mm-hmm. We also want to check the eyes, right? Yeah. So structurally, we're going to look at that. But you know, and then we can start the process of, you know, what these are some things that we can start to get you better. And typically, it's therapy. So when we see somebody, and we will let's say typically run a, a couple baseline tests in addition to a comprehensive eye health evaluation, because we're able to actually see part of the brain mm-hmm. when we look in the eyes. It's the only way to be able to do that. Uh, we're also going to do these tests called a visual field and a VEP. Can you can you tell our audience what what each of those kind of are looking for? Yeah, visual fields are going to look at your functional field, what you see um, based off of age-based norms. And we're also screening for signs of glaucoma, maybe macular degeneration, but we really want to make sure there's no lesion along the visual pathway going back to the brain uh, or the occipital lobe, which is on the back side of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and a visually evoked potential, that VEP test that you mentioned, it's looking at a, here's a stimulus, here's a screen that you look at and we flash something in front of it. How quickly does that get back to um, uh, signal back to the brain? And so if it's abnormally um, uh, late, 
getting there or it's not picking up at all, then we may have some type of um, neurological situation going on with the eye itself or that visual pathway. Which the person may have had a normal MRI or CT, but now within all those normal physical structures, like you're saying, that wire's not working as well, right? right. Yeah. Going back to our Oli guys, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, Oli Oli. It's all, all goes back to Oli. Yeah. Seems like there's a Minnesota joke in there somewhere, but I digress. <laughs> Being from Iowa, I know all the Minnesota jokes, and the Minnesota people know them all about Iowa. So anyway, back to the, the acquired brain injury. So, um, so we've got concussions, we've got motor vehicle accidents, or some sort of trauma, if mm-hmm. you will, whiplash, even to the truncal area, mm-hmm. as well as direct head trauma. We also have these neurodegenerative disorders, Parkinson's, uh, MS, uh, strokes, et, et cetera, like that. Um, I guess that depends on what you have and when it's causing you deficits. Would you still say, again, earlier intervention, earlier or the sooner that you notice there are some difficulties, the better to get that evaluated and possibly go into some therapy to improve that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what's, what's therapy really doing i mean i can see if my muscles atrophied from breaking an arm and i go back and i start to work on flexibility and i start to work on strength and i start to work on building my shoulder socket up and all that i can see when i'm getting or i can feel when i'm getting stronger there it's a little harder for the patient to see physically what's going on when i go through therapy for an acquired brain injury but it's really happening, right? What what is what is going on? I mean, what are we improving and what are we doing? Are we making you know more ollies, or uh, yeah, we're making better connections. Okay, um, and, uh-huh. and um, let's break it down a little bit yeah. though, because uh, each each um, cause of these uh, traumatic brain injuries, acquired brain injuries, are slightly different. Mm-hmm. If we think of the concussion as a blunt force trauma, or whiplash, or indirect um, trauma then we want to think of that like an earthquake, um, you know, to our roads and bridges to our brain. So when we think of that visual pathway and all the other, um, you know, vestibular and somatosensory pathways, everything's connected, we just had an earthquake. And with therapy, we want to rebuild those roads and bridges. They need to communicate. And when we're talking about different parts of the brain, let's think of it like our uh, aviation system in the U.S., We've got airports all over the country, and if one area area gets delayed or, um, let's say, injured or there's snowfall, mm-hmm. then it's going to affect everybody else down the line. So now my flight in Chicago is delayed because Nashville had an ice storm. They don't know how to deal with the snow. I don't get it. But <laughs> um, same thing with the visual system. If the eyes are affecting function, and then the brain's got to collect that data and communicate it back to motor then we're going to be off a little bit. And, you know, those people that were high-level functioning individuals prior to, you know, these head injuries, they notice it. They feel like something's off. And this is where we reteach how to move eyes, brain, vestibular properly. With a stroke patient, that's a little bit different. You're looking at possibly a part of the brain that's been cut off because of a bleed or a loss of blood flow. Now we've lost that part of the brain. Now we have to essentially utilize other parts uh, more efficiently um, or rewire it in a sense. We've got to, um, you know, come up with new ways to use mm-hmm. it. and To accomplish the same end goal. End goal. Right. And, and this, this is really important for those patients that have had um, visual field cuts. They've lost, you know, the left side of their 
visual field. It's like somebody is, you don't know who's coming up on your left or right side. Well, we need to help teach you to, to look there. Mm -hmm. And, um, those are, that's how I like to think of it. It's, it's this, um, re the therapy is just, uh, rebuilding these roads and bridges and with a stroke we're trying to figure out a new pathway as i see it we'll be right back hi everyone this is dr jeff kegaris with cool springs and donaldson eye care we've proudly served the middle tennessee community for the last 26 years and i want you to know we really appreciate you Having an annual comprehensive eye health and vision exam is so important to the health of your eyes. From signs of diabetes, glaucoma, and cataracts, we're looking for it all. Don't let another day go by. Schedule your annual eye health and vision exam at Cool Springs or Donaldson Eye Care. And now, back to As I See It. And so much like if I'm physically weightlifting, I gradually challenge myself more and more as I get stronger. That's kind of what you're doing in in TBI or ABI therapy is starting very basic to see what what still exists, what what works well, and then how do we rebuild those roads, if you will, whether earthquake or other um, cut off supply yeah and um, and so I want to get into that in just a second I want to talk after the break about somebody that has an event you're going to do an initial evaluation what test you might look at what are the common things that people have difficulties with why we see a lot of this effect reading more than maybe looking at a street sign and driving at least I think that we do and why that might be and then um, what what therapy really looks like for so we're, we're if you'll hang around, Dr. Kelly, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Sound good? I will be here. All right. Sounds good. So I'm talking with Dr. Daniel Kelly, who's a behavioral and neuro-optometrist with Cool Springs and Donaldson Eye Care and Performance Vision Therapy. And we're discussing acquired brain injury. Stick with us after we do a little commercial, and we're going to talk about therapy. And you might find some very interesting things when Dr. Kelly gets into that. Welcome back. I'm talking with Dr. Daniel Kelly. Dr. Kelly, before the break, we talked about, hey, somebody's just had a traumatic brain injury of some sort, and maybe it's uh, two weeks later, or perhaps uh, I've got a, a, a mother who had or has Parkinson's disease, uh, and I think it'd be a good idea to get this evaluated. So I want to send this person to see you, and you're going to evaluate. What's, what's part of that initial evaluation? Yeah, so number one is just getting, um, you know, a really good case history. So getting a background on what's going on with this patient. So we have at uh, Cool Springs Eye Care uh, intake forms that mm-hmm. um, it's a patient symptom survey. And they talk about everything from light sensitivity to reading to attention to balance, trying to figure out, you know, what is this, uh, where are they having trouble? So that's number one, just getting a good case history. And then next is just getting a great uh, structural examination and figuring out maybe glasses or uh, some type of specialty lens may alleviate some of these symptoms that's, that this patient is mm-hmm. experiencing. Okay. So what are some of the symptoms that people have? Because I don't think it's just my vision's blurred, is it? Right. Um, most common when it, when they come in and they're referred to me, which is uh, difficulty with focusing at near, mm-hmm. tracking, reading, um, losing their place. Uh, others would be Forgetting what they've read, reading comprehension when it comes to the reading aspect. 
Well, those a are a lot of up close things. Why is there a reason for uh, maybe some of those near things to be more of a problem than say reading a billboard? Naturally, our our eyes like to be far away, mm-hmm. right? We were um, we're more comfortable there, and then we have to use muscles to pull those eyes in. And if they're not coordinating well, I think of it like the brain is mama bear, and her cubs are not getting along. The two uh, kids, so they're kind of acting against each other, making the job harder for mom to keep them corralled. And that can lead to a lot of frustration, visual fatigue. I think I saw a, a statistic that said the most common in, in, in a study of people who'd had a traumatic brain injury, let's say it's concussion or motor vehicle accident, the most common deficit was an eye-related one, which was called convergence insufficiency. 56% of people had that. And that was greater than anything else. Uh, memory loss, difficulty with light, balance, etc. So it was an eye symptom or sign, if you will, that was the most common. So we know it's there. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, though, interestingly, people don't, uh, they, they think of other things rather than just, oh, my reading having difficulty, right? Yeah, they think of it like eyesight, right? Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. thinking of it, as, oh, well, I see well, and seeing is just a small part of it. And visual acuity, that's what we, we call it, and we check it in the exam lane, right? You're sitting still at the chair, looking far away, looking up close. Okay, that's great. But then what happens when the eyes are dynamic? What happens when you're dynamic? You're moving around. That's functional vision. Mm-hmm. That's talking about depth perception, the ability to track and read, drive a car, parallel park, and that's where our patients become symptomatic. They get into a grocery store or a retail store, and it's visually overwhelming. They can't see the, you know, the trees within the woods. Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, they get kind of uh, dizzy. Visual motion sensitivity is what I like to call it. So it sets them off, mm-hmm. and that leads to avoidance. Those are quite common signs and symptoms that these patients. Uh, experience even with convergence insufficiency even though it's a near problem by the end of the day they're starting to complain of double vision even at nighttime when driving mm-hmm. i've had a number of patients with this that have complained of i can't drive on the interstate anymore is that because of that visual overload yeah it's when this this we think of again the system as being focal central vision but our side vision is so important it gives us our ability to be spatially aware. Mm-hmm. And when we have to keep up with multiple objects while we're driving a car and other people are driving and you're not in control, it can send that system out of sorts. So when, in the usual case, we really take for granted that a lot of things are going on, right? I'm traveling at a certain speed. I'm evaluating the car in front of me. Mm-hmm. They may be going a little slower. I think I may want to get out in the left lane and pass this person, but is anybody else coming or is there anybody behind me and how fast are they going? I mean, all these complex decision-making processes are going on commonly and and we maybe don't have a big problem with it. But after a brain injury, many of those slow down or they are very segmental, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to put them and coordinate them together. Yeah, right? what, what ends up happening instead of a like localized it's like one airport system's taking control mm-hmm. and taking care of the thing to make sure everything else runs smoothly. It's almost like everybody else around the country is trying to fix the problem at the Nashville airport, and then they can't get the job done. Mm-hmm. So there's a filtering system that has been lost with these head injuries. Essentially, 
it should be nice and calm. There's studies out there that show um, multifunctional MRIs where you can look at brain activity for, for simple tasks, like moving a pen. And in a head injury patient, their brain is firing like crazy. Mm-hmm. All different parts of the brain are firing. When you have a normal brain, non-head injury patient, it's one, maybe a few areas of the brain that are actually activated. So they're nice and calm. Mm-hmm. So overstimulation, not a good thing in right. this. In fact, that's one of the one of the real problems that people tend to have, right? Exactly. And and much like anything that they, some people will look at this as a mental illness mm, issue because yeah. they'll go, oh well, it's in my brain, in my head. I don't want to mention this, right? It more taboo. It's like oh, if you got in a traumatic accident and half my ears chopped off. Okay, well, I had an accident. This, yeah. but if I got but if but if I have a trouble with balance and and maybe my memory or oh geez I can't drive on the interstate anymore I may be embarrassed to want to say that yeah, right ego gets in, in the way and then it leads to anxiety and sometimes mm-hmm. you're depressed mm-hmm. and that's a normal feeling right these are all normal after these head injuries and we want to solve those early so you're not put on medications that may not be needed at that time but sometimes they are mm-hmm. you know yeah. sometimes we have to use them to get to our um, normal place right 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 so it's a combination again pharmacologic and rehabilitative and Mm -hmm. working on a lot of activity so we really work multidisciplinarily with ot pt um md md obviously um you know sports medicine specialists we have a great one here in town and Mm -hmm. some other neurology it just depends on the individual case let's talk about this you've got a test in addition to the VEPs, visual fields, and obviously the things that we do ophthalmically, you've got a test called a neurobinocular right eye, which will give a brain health evaluation. Do you? How do you use that in acquired brain injury evaluation and, and ongoing therapy? This is a, a great tool and, and something that has been, it's evolved over the years to make it much easier for patients to see and understand it when we get to show them what's going on with their eyes and their brain. But we would like to have this test done, especially with athletes, as a baseline. Mm-hmm. Okay, we want to know what they were prior to a potential head injury. Um, and it's great for any other type of you know patient so that if you, know, you develop something uh, down the road with a head injury required brain injury, we can see what's going on. So this tool is very important for early intervention and then for monitoring patients' progression as they get better through therapy. And this, this tool is an infrared tracking system that uses um, you know, a computer-based system where it's shining infrared light off your eyes, and we, we know where you're looking while you're you know, tracking standardized targets. And then we have a reading assessment along with it to show us what are your eyes doing when you're reading and what's your comprehension. Are you working harder than your peers to get the same information? It's fine if you get an A, but did it take you forever to get the a, how mm-hmm. much work did you put in? And that's where people talk about burnout. Mm-hmm. So you use this not only in acquired brain injury, but also if students are not maybe reading to their grade level or they're very, very smart, but they're but this seems to, reading comprehension maybe seems to be more of an issue for them, right? right. To be able to, to look at the neuromuscular, neuromotor, um, and, and I guess some of the sensory feedback if you will yes um to to get that where where is my brain health now if somebody said i think i'm having this difficulty with my child they're in eighth grade they're about to go to high school and um, i'm not sure if they had a concussion or not but i i heard you guys talking about it i'd like to know where my child 
is with, with that. We, yeah. we can run that test, right? We just set up a consultation. Is that how to how to do that at Cool Springs Eye Care or Donaldson Eye Care? That's correct. Okay. All right. And say, I, I really want to have that, uh, the test that Dr. Kelly and Dr. Keg talked about on brain health. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's very, um, very easy, quick, and it compares uh, the patient's results to its age population. So you know where you stand amongst peers. So you've got somebody that comes in. Let's get back to the traumatic cases. You've got somebody that comes in, they've, uh, um, they've had a stroke, and they're, for whatever reason, they've focused a little bit more on maybe speech, and not uncommonly speech, and maybe some memory, maybe physically walking. Uh, OT, and, yeah. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. So now you're, th- you're three, four months down the line, and they're really having difficulties with being able to concentrate and read and just some things, you know, some of the symptoms that we've talked about. Um, how, do you, how do you approach that patient? About how long will therapy last and what's involved for, for therapy? It's a great question, Jeff. I, I like to base therapy for stroke patients off of their goals. What, what, do, what would you like to do? Um, post-stroke and most of the answers i get are i want to be i want to read again or i want to drive again so as long as we have goals that kind of leads us into the direction of where we want to go with therapy because for any type of neuro rehabilitation we start with simple um, treatment plans and then we build to more complex skills as this person is healing and and getting better so for those types of patients, we really want to focus on goal-oriented care. Okay. So um, does that maybe, geez, if I come to see you for a couple of weeks, I'm probably cured and things are magically better, or does it take longer than that? Uh, or, or is that a really difficult thing to say or to answer to because it depends on the case? It depends on the and case. The but most most of my patients that we see will start with three months um, minimum reevaluate and we're constantly um, you know retesting making sure that the the plan in place for therapy is um, you know going to meet those goals is this person seeing a benefit and you know do we need to change up home care because that's, that's what gets really difficult right you may only see us once a week mm-hmm. but we need to be doing therapy four to five times a week at home or do we have to change our schedule and say, hey, maybe we see you more than once a week so that we can get you back to where you need to go? We also stay in touch with if they're seeing a, uh, a physical therapist for uh, balance or an occupational therapist for, um, you know, maybe a, an arm that has been, um, you know, has lost function. That OT will also do some of this vision therapy along with it so that we can get them back um, faster. So we coordinate. So it's not just a separate silo and another silo there. And they're mm-hmm. all, they're all part of the big farm to get somebody back functioning. Well, that's right? correct. And coordinating that communication. Yeah. So some of my patients that I've had over, uh, over the years, uh, they can be in there for as little as a few months to, you know, a year. Okay. Okay. So today we focused a little bit on the concept of acquired brain injury. If you heard, I started off by talking about a traumatic brain injury and Dr. Kelly has kind of brought in my vernacular to say traumatic brain injury is really a part of acquired brain injury. And that much like with physical injuries, there are very well thought out evidence-based improvements 
you don't have to you don't have to just live with what you have we can That's help right. improve you or somebody you love uh, if you've not had a comprehensive eye health and vision exam then schedule one at cool springs and or donaldson eye care if you have had we work with your local eye doctor or your general physician, whoever's mostly taking care of your individual situation. If you had an, a comprehensive eye health and vision examination since the injury, then um, make a phone call to Performance Vision Therapy here in Franklin, where we specialize and we'll do a consultation directly there at our uh, at our location to have an acquired brain injury evaluation. You probably get the neurobinocular right eye test. Uh, again, I say that if you've already had your eye exam, we won't have to. We won't need to repeat that because there are some excellent eye doctors that you can get those done with first. But then the rehabilitation part, the acquired brain injury treatment and therapy, that's something we really specialize in down at Performance Vision Therapy because we're really set up for all of that work, right? That's correct. So we, we, if you know somebody and they are in one of these categories, they've had a concussion, could be an athlete, could be just somebody that had a fall. They've had any other sort of trauma, motor vehicle accident. They have had a stroke. They have any neurodegenerative condition, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, any type of thing that affects, and they're having deficits or would like to be able to read better, think better, remember better, comprehend better, be more comfortable in their environment out in a busy situation. Um, or if you just have questions on acquired brain injury, don't hesitate. Uh, email us. In fact, in this case, I'm, you can always email Cole, C-O-L-E, at Cool Springs Eye Care. But I don't think Dr. Kelly would mind if you'd emailed him directly at Dr. Kelly at CoolSpringsEyeCare.com. That's Dr. Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at, at CoolSpringsEyeCare.com. Um, we're here to help you. We've learned a lot about acquired brain injury, and yet we've really just touched on the on the superficial part, haven't we, Daniel? Yeah, that's that's true, Jeff. And I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Hey, enjoyed talking to you too. I'm glad we got it done, and we'll yeah. probably have some follow-ups on a little more specifics about therapy in the future. So for this week on As I See It, I've been talking with Dr. Daniel Kelly, who's a neuro and behavioral optometrist and sees patients in our Cool Springs Eye Care, occasionally Donaldson Eye Care practice, but also at Performance Vision Therapy here in Franklin. Give us a call, send us an email, and as always, send us any comments. I like to read those. I've moved from drinking more coffee to trying to drink more tea since our strategic review. Dr. Kelly has his tea right in front of him. So have a great week and we'll talk next week.